0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast. If you have a story you'd like to tell on our podcast, please reach out, theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, and we will get back to you. Today's episode is episode number 281. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five star rating so that when people who are suffering from addiction or have loved ones who are suffering from addiction, when they search Google, our podcast will come up because as you know, we are all about hope and offering help. Also please check out our YouTube channel, subscribe, give us a thumbs up on our videos and ring the bell so that when we put up a new video, you'll be notified today we have an interview with a gentleman named christopher dale christopher dale is an experienced public relations professional writer and recovering addict in addition to being a regular contributor to addiction recovery e bulletin he has been published in a broad array of prominent outlets including the daily beast salon parents.com dogster New York Daily News and Tribune Syndicate. He writes on a wide range of topics, including addiction, mental health, politics, parenting, travel, and rescue dog advocacy. Today, however, we're just gonna talk about addiction. So let's talk to Christopher Dale. Christopher Dale, and I'm sorry, I didn't, I, if you said the wife, the name of your lovely wife, I missed it, what's your name? My name is Patty. Patty. So Christopher and Patty Dale, thank you for being willing to be on the podcast today and sharing your story because I know it's not only your story, Christopher, it's also yours as well, Patty. And I think it's important to hear about it. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. So Christopher, tell us where you grew up, what your childhood was like. Um, you know, your background. Tell us about you.
2: Sure. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Kearney, New Jersey. Uh, which is about ten miles from where we live now in, in uh, Little Falls, New Jersey. Um, childhood was a little rough. Um, my mother passed away when I was very young. she was I was three. Oh. She was seven months pregnant with what would have been my um, younger sister. Uh, she died at age twenty four. Um, my father, um, great guy still alive, still in our lives, was the adult child of two alcoholics. Uh. And so, asking him to raise a three-year-old alone from age 30 in all that after being raised in chaos himself was was probably a little too much to ask anybody um and so childhood was kind of lonely and it was i was very i was i was kind of just i think a lot of alcoholics would identify with being lonely um in in a room full of people uh and i was i was that kind of kid right i was kind of geeky and gawky and and awkward and um, you know, I had some book smarts, so I got straight A's, so no one kind of threw up any red flags, but I, I grew up pretty lonely, uh, not a lot of friends. Uh that changed a little bit in high school. Kind of started coming out of my shell, meeting some new people. Um, but yeah, childhood was childhood was rough. Um it, it wasn't it wasn't fun.
1: Understood. A three year old definitely needs his mother. Yeah. Especially a little boy. I think yeah. little girls too, but especially little boys. There's a lot to be said for daddy's little girl and a mama's boy. They're, right. they're definitely there. So what? when did you get into introduced to drugs or alcohol?
2: So, you know, I think I, I went to college. I went to New York University. Uh, I, I think I would have been able to shake some of this stuff off and, and lead a relatively normal life. Um, Patty and I met when we were sophomores. Um, she walked into a, a party down at Rutgers uh, in uh, in New Jersey I was visiting a high school friend. And she recognized me from we used to take piano lessons together, and we were like five. Oh my! So she walks into the room and says, "Chris," and I'm like, "Who are you?" I didn't.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you admit that, Chris. But okay,
2: that was that. And you know, after. Someone who wasn't didn't wasn't good at finding himself. Kind of, I kind of stumbled into journalism major at NYU. It's a journalism school. I was in New York City. I was young and in love. I think things would have come out kind of okay. My story takes a kind of a weird turn when I was just out of college. I started losing my eyesight. Oh. And the doctors couldn't figure out why. So I'm kind of young and new into the workforce. This is 2001. We 2000, I graduated, graduated in 01. Um. I was in the coming up in the north tower, coming up in the path station in the north tower when the first plane hit. Wow! Oh my gosh! So, a few years into the workforce, into kind of early adulthood, I started my vision. They noticed my vision wasn't correcting to 2020. Um, They did some tests. They thought it could have been a tumor. They realized it was something with my optic nerve and not my kind of the 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 the, the cable and not the lens. if, If that makes any sense. Um, and over the course of 18 to 24 months, they just ran a battery of tests to try to figure out why never really got a definitive answer. Um, over that period of time, my vision diminished to 2060 and 2070 ish. And that's kind of where it stopped getting worse. Wow. And, um, maybe somebody who wasn't raised in chaos, um, maybe someone who had a little bit better nature and nurture behind them to, to crop prop them up a little bit. Um, would have been okay and been able to reintegrate, but that really wasn't my journey. It wasn't where I went with it. Um, I had a deep depressive spiral, you know, near suicide attempt somewhere in all of this. We're still together. We get married. Oh, um, but just after I kind of, we kind of moved in and I tried to, now I'm really an adult, right? I'm a married man in my mid to late twenties in Brooklyn. And, um, it just didn't work. Um, I started drinking heavily. Um, I couldn't sleep. I started drinking to get to sleep. I started drinking to feel normal and, and less awkward in social situations. Um, and, and when you introduce someone with that level of depression and anxiety to cocaine, um, the result is pretty predictable. Um, and it was a, it was a pretty instant addiction.
1: Who introduced you to cocaine?
2: I, you know, I don't really remember. I'm pretty sure I just did it one day at a It was around one day at a party. You know, I, I did a few lines, I did a few more, and I kind of never felt that level of bliss, hmm. um, ever. And, you know, and that's a sick thing to say for someone who had already experienced, like, you know, having a nice job, living in a nice place, married to a beautiful woman. It, it's a sick thing to say, but it's true.
1: I understand. So, how long did you do cocaine? How long were you addicted to cocaine?
2: You know, um, most people in Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I go to AA and not NA because there's just more meetings that way. There's the proliferation of it, of the program—they're actually shocked. They're not shocked, but they're—they would have, you know, they'd tell you that's a pretty short run. But, but I was addicted to cocaine pretty hard for about three years.
1: So I don't believe that there's like a short run versus a long run. Let me just say addiction is addiction. Whether you're addicted for a year or 10 years or 40 years, it's not like you get more addicted. I don't think the longer you go. Yeah.
2: It it was violent. It was a violent, no, I don't mean that we got violent with each other. I mean, it was a violent addiction. I I mean, I couldn't go more than a few days um, at its peak. And, you know, the, when you're maxing out credit cards, emptying bank accounts, stealing from our joint account, and you know, emptying a 401k after you get fired for being a cocaine addict, you know, it's um, you, the the bottom was pretty steep, and I skidded along it for a while. Um, so you know, I was unemployed and unemployable at, at the at the worst of it. This is you know, this is 2010, 2000, early 2011.
1: And obviously, Patty, you're aware, you were aware of what was going on, right? Yes. Yes, I was. And it's, uh, it was not a fun journey for either of us. No, I get it. Did you urge him to like, get help or stop or?
0: Well, absolutely. Um, And I think there was that there was the last moment where we forced him into rehab. But up to that point, Um, you know, you know, there's, there's not a a well-defined time when it's, um, partying and having fun. And then, and then, you know, all of a sudden it transitions into addiction. And so this was a point in our time, in our lives when we were, you know, young and just going out and having fun, spending time with our friends, childless. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We didn't have a lot of responsibilities. Things were easy. And so it did not necessarily raise flags until, of course, it did.
1: Right. Right.
2: So I then, return, you know, to, to...
1: yeah, I was going to say, what That are we getting close there? It sounds like it. <laughs> it, crosses,
2: you know, it crosses over to that point where a cucumber can't be, you know, a pickle can't become a cucumber anymore, you know. Uh, and I think I probably I probably fooled myself for as long as I could and then fooled her for even longer. Right. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of an and the natural progression of of this thing.
1: Understood. So what at what point did you decide? Was there an intervention, Patty? Is that what you you guys did?
2: I call it that. Yeah. You know? Um so I have a friend who, um, God bless his soul, I'm I'm about to be the best man in this wedding in, in in a month. Um, he's not an alcoholic. Uh, he got, he had one too many drinks in a, in Vermont, uh, in a, in a small town with a, a, strict cop, he got a DUI up there, right? So he has to go up to court and he can't drive in the state leading up to this. so he has, he can't drive in Vermont. So he needs someone in the middle of January to drive him from the middle of New York City to the middle of nowhere, New England. And who's available but, you know, Captain Unemployment over here. Um, the night before this was supposed to happen, I basically did cocaine all night. And by the end of, you know, there was no way I could even begin to fake, to get in the car and then drive 300 feet, let alone 300 miles. Okay. So that was that. And it was the, it was just the last, it was, it was the last time You know, we knew that inpatient rehab was next, you know, and I, you know, I'll let Patty speak for herself, but I think she wouldn't, she wouldn't have dreamt of leaving me. had we not gotten to at least try inpatient rehab? Um, And that was this is January 2011. This is January. This is January of 2011. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: It was late at night. We drove to your aunt and uncle's house. Yeah. We said this is this is a problem. We need to do something.
2: Right. That's when she called in the cavalry. Right. In term getting back to your word intervention. We had an we had we had an intervention in the names of um, my aunt Linda and my late uncle Steve. Um, God bless their souls. And you know um we ended up you know we ended up as even after when i didn't get immediately sober after rehab we ended up moving in with them um and if any addicts out there who are married and um trying to act as if in in the real world like they're yuppies or something and one of them's trying to get desperately um clean if you have an aunt linda and uncle steve impose move in with them okay because i think patty needed two more sets of eyes that knew what was going on and that could be accountable. It took a little bit of pressure off of her, you know, I mean, this is a woman that by age 30 was earning six figures and going into Manhattan every day and worried about her frigging deadbeat of a husband at home, blowing lines all day. That was too much stress for anybody over a protracted period of time. And when I didn't get instantly sober, the, the circle needed to expand.
1: You are listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby right so you went to treatment you went to inpatient treatment
2: i did you yeah, okay. 20 we tried outpatient too yeah that didn't work i flunked out of that quickly
0: yeah he lied his way out of the <laughs>
2: okay. yeah, yeah so i would say after NPA in- yeah, what inpatient treatment did it didn't save my ass but it saved my soul um or maybe it didn't save my soul but it saved my ass um <sighs> So I, it was chronic before then. It was every few days. Now it was every few weeks I was stringing together a couple of weeks here. There's a big difference and doesn't sound like much, you know, but in that space I was able to, you know, start looking at her as less of a warden and more of a wife for the first time in several years, get a job. I got another job that I still have today. Um, and uh, get a job where I can be open. I just told my boss about the book earlier this week, and not only was he not angry about it, he was thrilled. Um, but th- so there's this period from February when I get out of rehab to finally October 10th, when was was Columbus Day. Uh, I had off. I don't know who gives off for Columbus Day anymore. We've since stopped doing that, and she did not. Um, I got drunk during the day. This is us. We're living in New Jersey now with Aunt Linda and Uncle Steve. And uh, I didn't have a connect in New Jersey yet. So I'm getting, fighting the urge to go into the city, getting more and more drunk. And by the time I finally gave into what I needed to do, I was barreling towards the largest city in America at 60 miles an hour, blind drunk.
0: Hmm.
2: I sideswiped a cab in the Holland Tunnel. Uh, which is one of the two major tunnels connecting New Jersey and New York. Right. And kept going. Um, news, you know, spoiler alert to your audience and anyone who is unfamiliar with New York City, uh, you, you can't really do what Jason Bourne did in the city. <laughs> the
0: cops are and, waiting at the, the end. The cops are yeah. pretty much right yeah. there.
2: So, it, you know, it was handcuffs and a night in the drunk tank. Um, you know, Patty and Uncle well, Steve.
0: You didn't come home. I didn't come home that
2: was it. So my phone call later that night after being read my rights after sleeping it off in the jail cell for a few hours was to Patty who, you know. So I had to
0: rouse Uncle Steve and don't get I the car. Go get
1: go
0: into the city and kind of figure this whole all, all out. Uh-huh.
1: So this was October 2021?
2: Yeah. Yes. No, no, October 2011.
1: Thank you. I was going to say I didn't think it was that recent. Okay, October 2011. Okay. <laughs>
0: All of this happened in a very short time span, it did. for which I suppose we're fortunate.
2: I think we're still married because it happened in that time span. You know, I mean, at what point does a 31-year-old, 32-year-old woman want to salvage the rest of her youth at some point? I mean, it, understandably, you know, um, uh, I, and, I, you know from, and that was it. That was the last, the last drink I ever had was a warm 24-ounce can of Coors Light in the holster of my car. Um, and, and that was that. And, and when I had my court appearance, she was waiting for me and, and she was either going to leave at that point or she wasn't, you know, and, and God help us. God save us, you know, the next day, instead of getting up and, and moving back to Brooklyn, she got up and went to work. Um, and so did I, um, and it was like final straw plus one.
1: Understood. And and well done, Patty, because, you know, I guess some people would say, oh, you should have just, you know, cut your losses and gotten on with things. But I, it sounds to me like you guys have a strong enough marriage that there was enough there for you to salvage and enough good in Christopher that you wanted to continue with that. And I think that's huge. And well done on your sobriety, Christopher, because I know that that's not always easy.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, she's more of a hero for, you know, kind of transitioning into, you know, recovery. There's this, and, and the reason I, the reason I don't want to plug the book too up, but the reason I wrote Better abs, the reason I wrote the book is because now what? Um, I think th- there are statistics that show, obviously, addiction and, and alcoholism, you look at divorce numbers and you're, nobody's shocked, Right. But then when you see similar numbers, they're not even, you know, they're not even that much lower in early recovery. You're left thinking, well, why isn't the worst of this over? And that's what we thought, you know, I mean, you you think the worst and the worst of it was over. That's part of the that's part of the thing that that clouds the judgment. But that doesn't mean the rest is going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination.
1: No, because, you know, you know that you're going to be sober that day. But she's not inside your head, right. and she's got that doubt. Right. You know, every day is today going to be the day that he's right. going to drink or he's going to yeah. use. And you know, you're not. But right, she we live we
2: live in we live in this great, progressively open society. It's great, and addiction is no, is less and less stigmatized. And a newly sober addict who's really committed has group centric recovery, therapy, understanding, support. And their spouses and partners don't, at least not to the extent that I think they should. It's
0: definitely not readily available and and doesn't serve the same
2: purpose. And even where it is available, you're, you're left in a situation where you don't know what you don't know. Patty didn't know how much my addiction had damaged her. Patty didn't know that she was literally a worse person because of me. And Patty didn't know that she was supposed to be doing anything about any of this. She thought, you know, let's like give Chris some space to get his, his, his stuff together. Uh, and, 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 and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to kind of reconnect on our experience. It doesn't work that way. We, we both had to become healed, improved 2.0 versions of ourselves and almost get remarried in the process.
1: Understood. It's a new relationship, so to
2: speak. Definitely. Um, So you asked to tell me a little about the book. So the the book is going to be published on November fourth. It's available pretty from a cyber perspective, pretty much in the in the the major the Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Um, and uh, it's available in paperback or for you know e reader version. Um, and the, the, the again, the, the reason behind the book was that we're, we're so grateful that we kind of stumbled into the right path after making a lot of wrong turns and false starts and, and just kind of not knowing for, for lack of knowledge. I'm hoping that j- just like in a, when I go to AA and my sponsor gives me direction based on mistakes that he made in the past so that I don't have to make them. Maybe there's some folks out there that can read a book like this that's kind of part memoir and part suggestive uh, and not make the same pit and not, and not stumble into the same pitfalls that we did. Um, and that does, you know,
1: well, stumble into the pitfalls, but also make your way out the other side. And, and that was the next thing I was going to ask you from each of you. If you could give one piece of advice to a couple in which one is struggling with addiction what what advice would you give, Christopher and Patty? What advice would you give?
2: Want me to go first?
1: You want to go first? I'll, I'll go
0: first. Um, <laughs> I, I think that you know. I would I would say that in all of this, um, it certainly there's certainly no aha moment and no one size fits all approach. Um, a lot of it is trial and error, and it really is about. Um, it's not just about digging deep and looking into yourself you know, it's what do you want to accomplish together? Um, What's possible, what can we do? Um, And kind of make those small goals, those small steps um, with your partner.
1: And Christopher?
2: Um, Directly to fellow recovering addicts, don't leave your partners or spouses out of your early sobriety. we we all know that this isn't cancer this isn't um this isn't diabetes this is a takes one to help one affliction and the 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 because of that i think the 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 it's tempting to just go run off into your group centric recovery acknowledge and and basically take for granted that the spouse who stuck by you in addiction is going to stick by you in early recovery and even and the, the dangerous part of that thinking is that you're right she's going to stick by you, but in order for the marriage to kind of begin to heal, your, your partner needs to be brought along for the ride at least a little bit, open meetings, take her out to with your sponsor to a diner once in a while. Just let, let, let him or her in a, a little bit so that they have more of a understanding and a reassurance that this time is actually different. Um, okay, that the same platitudes you've been giving them for a while now uh, something has magically clicked because it is magic, and it's hard to describe magic um, to someone who who's never experienced addiction, not yep. personally anyway. Right?
1: Yep. I think that's huge. I think that's a great piece of advice. I want to thank you both for being willing to talk to us today and sharing a situation that's pretty personal to both of you. And I I really appreciate it because I think it's going to resonate with some people who are listening and. Maybe we'll save some marriages as well as get people clean and sober. And if we can do that, I'm a happy camper.
2: Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you taking, you having us on. Thank you so much. Thanks.
1: I think that this interview is very valuable. As I um, said to Christopher and Patty after the podcast, I said, you know, mostly we have talked to spouses who lost their husband to addiction or their wife and, um, or just a loved one. And I think the beauty of this is that you have, um, a husband who got clean and sober and a wife who was able to see what was there in the marriage and continue with the marriage. And now they're happy and they're moving through sobriety and recovery together. And I think that's huge. So, um, thank you very much for listening. Um, this podcast will be, um, is airing in August and his book comes out November 4th. If you are on our email list, you'll get an email, um, reminding you that the book is out. So everybody have a great week. We'll be back again with another interview. You have been
0: listening to the addiction podcast point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.